Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. It is uh, great to see you all here in this room. It's also great to have all of you who are outside right now, just on the other side of this wall. Hope you're doing good this morning. Hope you're staying warm uh, out in the tent. Maybe you brought some blankets with you. That might be a good idea. It's amazing to think that just a couple weeks ago, if you're outside, you were sweating to death, and now you're freezing to death, and that's Northeast Ohio for you. Uh, but man, super, super glad to have all of you here. And if you are a guest with us uh, for the first time at the Medina campus, or if you're, uh, if you're back and you haven't been here in a while, welcome or welcome. Welcome back. We're so glad to have you. And uh, I got to tell you, you came on a great weekend. And the reason for that is because this weekend, uh, like Steve said, we're actually starting a brand new series uh, that's going to last for the next four weeks. It's a series that we are calling uh, We. And the reason I think this is a great time for you to be here is uh, we oftentimes say here at Grace at the beginning of a new series is one of the best uh, one of the best times to be a guest because you're kind of catching us um, at the beginning of, of something that's going to last for a chunk of time. So this four week series that we're going to be. In fact, I would love to even just invite you if you are a guest. If you're someone who's trying to figure out, is this church for me? Is this the place that I should be? Uh, I might even just encourage you to just lock in, make a decision to lock in for the next four weeks. I think that would let you maybe hear a little bit about this church, maybe get, let, uh, give you an opportunity to get to know us. And then hopefully it would give us a chance to get to know you too, which we would, we would love to do that. So I'm excited that you're here. Now, if you're someone who has been part of Grace for a while, and I say that we're doing a series called We, you might be thinking, now, hold on a minute. Hold on a second. I think I remember, didn't we do this series before? Like, haven't we done a We series? And the answer to that question is yes and no all at the same time. And, and what I mean by that is about a year ago, in fact, it was about a year ago now, uh, we did a, a series that was called We. And in this series, really what we did is we looked at our eight values that we have here at Grace Church. So here at Grace Church, we actually have eight deeply held values that we operate off of kind of as a church. So last year, about this time last year, we looked at four of those eight values. And so our hope in this series is actually to come back and look at four more of those values. So this isn't a, a reiteration of a conversation that we've had in the past. It's more of a continuation of a conversation that we've been having. But basically, we talk about these eight values, and what I want you to understand is that these are not new. Okay, these values are not new. In fact, these are actually our way of trying to find fresh ways to articulate biblical values that we believe shouldn't just define our church, but also uh, should define all of our lives for those of us who follow Jesus. So these actually come right from the Bible, but it's just ways that we're trying to articulate values that we believe drive us together. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that these, I want you to know these values, but I also want you to embody these values as a follower of Christ, okay? So here's the value that we're gonna be looking at today. We're gonna be spending our whole time kind of unpacking and thinking about, and this is how we put it. We would say this, we say our value is that we wanna do our best with everything we have, okay? We do our best with everything we have. And so with each of our values, we actually have a description that goes along with that, kind of a clarifying statement. And here's what we'd say. We'd say, man, we're committed to excellence and effectiveness for the gospel. We wanna maximize every resource to focus our creativity, our efforts on the ministry that's going to make the most impact. Okay, so that's how we'd articulate that. We do our best with everything we have. So like I said, we wanna spend our time kind of digging at what, what is behind this value? What's the heart behind it? Where does it come from in scripture? How does that kind of play it? How does this value flesh itself out corporately in our church? And how does that happen individually in our own lives? How do we pursue that? So that's what we wanna spend some time kind of thinking about uh, together. And I think as we begin to maybe, you know, kind of press our minds down on this, it might be clarifying if I just emphasized a few words, a few very important words. I want you to notice here, we say that we're committed to things like excellence. Uh, we're committed to things like maximizing every resource to creativity and to focusing our efforts, right? So, so in other words, uh, what are these words talking about? Well, we wanna, we wanna, we're committed to excellence. We're committed to resourcefulness, right? We wanna be resourceful. We're committed to uh, exerting creativity. Uh, we're committed to ex exerting energy, right? And towards what? Towards what end? Well, if you notice in here, we say uh, for effectiveness for the gospel, so gospel effectiveness, and for ministry impact. So in other words, what we're saying here is that we wanna do our very best, we wanna do our very best with all of our giftedness, with all of our resources, with all of our creativity, 
with all of our energy and we wanna take all of those things and we wanna focus those things to make an impact for the sake of the gospel. That's what we wanna do. And by the way, the gospel, if you're kind of new to grace or you're new to Christianity, the gospel is essentially the core message, the core message of the Christian faith. And the gospel in a nutshell is basically this. It is the good news that God loves us and that he offers the forgiveness of sins through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he invites us into a new life because of the resurrected Jesus. And we actually believe that that message, that message has the power to utterly transform your life. We believe that is the most important message in all of human history. And so we say, we want to take all of our creativity, all of our energy and all of our resources into connecting that message into the lives of other people. So that's what's behind this value. That's what we're talking about. I also want you to notice one other thing that we say. We say this. We say that we do our best with everything we have, with everything we have. And the reason I think that's important is because what we're saying is we want to focus on what we do have and not on what we don't have. Okay, so we want to focus our energy on the resources, on the creativity, on, on the things that are available to us, not the things that are not. And I actually think um, that that's really important because all of us probably know this. This is a trap that we can fall into sometimes. And the trap is this, that it is easy for us sometimes to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. And sometimes it's easy for us to discredit ourselves or to jeopardize opportunities we might have because we're so focused on what we lack rather than what we actually have uh, available to us. And I actually think that this value right here is incredibly, incredibly important in a season like the one that we find ourselves in right now. I think all of us know this, like with the pandemic and everything that's been going on over the past few months, months it has been so, so, so easy to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do have. It's been easy to do that personally. It's been easy to do that corporately, to focus on what we don't have rather than what we do. But I think it's, been, it's, it's easy sometimes to think about the opportunities that we once had before this, but maybe we don't have anymore. It's easy for us to think about resources and capabilities that at one time were accessible to us that maybe because of this season, they're not anymore. And I think that because of that, because we live in a time like we do right now, this is where this value really needs to kick in. And especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus. This is a time, I think, where we need to get resourceful. It's a time that requires that we get creative. It's a time that requires that we start to really think through how are we gonna think differently about how we can approach gospel effectiveness, I think for those of us who follow Jesus. And so that's really what's behind this whole thing. In fact, if I could just say it this way, if I could summarize this whole value in one word, I think I could do it. And I think the word would be this. I think it'd be the word shrewd, okay? So I think what we're talking about here is we're talking about practicing this idea of shrewdness. Now, I know, man, this is not a word that I think a lot of us maybe use commonly, the word shrewd, but I think it's a really important word. In fact, my hope is today is that you'll see that this value and actually this principle, this idea of shrewdness is not only something that we see in the Bible, but it's actually something that we see that comes directly from Jesus Christ himself, that this is something that Jesus desires for those of us who follow him, is that we are people who practice shrewdness. So, so I wanna uh, encourage you, take your Bible if you got it. Uh, I know that, uh, that Steve just read for us from Luke chapter 16, but we're gonna take this kind of verse by verse and we're gonna look at what Jesus teaches about this, uh, this whole idea and what, kind of where this value comes from here in this passage. So go ahead and get your Bibles open or open up your app and uh, join me in Luke chapter 16. And as you're finding that uh, passage, let me just tell you that what we, what we just read and what we're gonna see here is that in this passage, Jesus is actually giving a parable, all right? Now, if you're not familiar with what a parable is, a parable was actually a teaching method and it basically is a story that Jesus would tell to make a spiritual uh, analogy or to make a spiritual illustration. So these parables were usually fictitious. They weren't usually true stories, but they were stories that were told to illuminate spiritual truths and spiritual realities, okay? So I want you to keep that in mind. Now, here's something else I want, I want you to, to see is that this parable that we're gonna read, scholars would look at and they would actually say that this is, this is the most difficult and the most challenging parable of all of Jesus's parables to understand. So this is a challenging parable and you're gonna see why, I think, as we, as we kind of dig into this. But I actually think, not only is it the most challenging, I think it's actually a lot of fun. 
It's a pretty cool parable. So we're gonna dig in, starting off in verse one. Uh, let's go ahead and see what Jesus, what Jesus has to say. So it starts off, it says, Jesus told his disciples, uh, and he begins this parable, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Okay, so let's just pause here for a second. Let's just set this up a little bit. I wanna draw your attention to something I think is, is easy to read past, but I think is very important. I want you to notice that the Bible's gonna tell us that Jesus is telling this to his disciples, all right? Now, here's why that's significant. Disciples, of course, were those who followed Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Uh, there are many of you who are in this room and many of you who are outside who would consider yourself a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus. I know that's not everybody. Uh, some of you maybe are still investigating Christianity. Maybe you're still kind of on a journey trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus. And by the way, if that's you, we say it all the time. We just count it an absolute privilege that you'd let us be part of that journey. So thanks for that. But, but here's what I want you to understand is that Jesus didn't address all of his parables directly to his disciples, but this parable is, is directed directly to his disciples. And the reason that's important is because for those of us who follow Jesus, that means that this parable has direct implications and direct application to you and I. In other words, what we're gonna see in this parable is that Jesus is trying to instruct us, those of us who follow him, in a certain quality that he desires to see in us. All right, so I want you to catch that. So this is for us, for those of us who follow Jesus. So here's what he says. Jesus told his disciples, he begins the parable. He says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he said, what is this that I hear about you? All right, so uh, as it is with all of Jesus' parables, he usually uses circumstances and situations that his disciples would have been familiar with. So it would have been something that would have been kind of a common, common day sort of situation. And so this situation, what we see is there's this rich guy, Jesus says, and apparently he hires this manager. And this manager is a guy who oversaw his possessions. So back in Jesus's time, this actually would have been a pretty familiar scene. It was very common for extremely rich people to hire uh, something that they called absentee landlords. And so basically they would hire a person who would be in charge of kind of uh, overseeing their estate, overseeing their business and overseeing their finances whenever the owner was gone. So most likely that's what Jesus is envisioning here. So he says, once upon a time, there was a rich dude. He had an absentee landlord. And then for some reason or another, he catches wind. We don't have a lot of details, but apparently this guy uh, was wasting his possessions. That's what it says. So he was being a bad manager. He was mismanaging. He was being wasteful with his master's resources. And so because of this, this, this owner does what any good owner would do with someone who is being negligent and someone who is being wasteful is he fires him. So look what it says. He comes to him. He says, give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. All right, now let me just say this real quick. All right, if you're a person that's taking notes, I think here's an important point that I wanna draw out here for a moment, okay? Because I actually think that what he says right here is gonna give a, little, a lot of insight, a lot of insight to help us better understand what Jesus's point is, all right? So if you're someone that's taking notes, I maybe just kind of write this down, or if you're kind of person that writes in, in your Bible, like if you write in the margins of your Bible, maybe you just wanna kind of uh, underline this part because you cannot be my manager any longer. And in the margins, just put this, put he's fired, all right, that's just important. It's very important. This guy is fired. All right, it's final. He's done. His job, the fact that his job is ending is eminent. All right, so that's, that's a crucially important. But I also want you to notice this. Here's what the owner says to him. He says, give an account of your management because you're fired. And so, so in other words, he says to this guy, go clean out your desk and go settle all of your accounts because you're fired. And so, so here's what is so important that you gotta see. Apparently this guy, this guy has this limited period of time. He has a brief, brief window of opportunity in which he knows his job is over, like he's fired. He's got a little bit of time, a little bit of time to get stuff in order. He's got a little bit of time to do something to procure for himself something for what happens after he loses his job. That's so important, it's so important. So look what happens. So verse three, the manager said to himself, well, what am I gonna do now? So this is a crisis, right? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. 
and I'm too ashamed to beg. So he starts having this dialogue with himself. He's like, what am I going to do now? And then he says, I'm not, I'm not strong enough to dig. In other words, what he says is, man, I'm white collar. Now, I went to business school, all right? Like I'm what they call an indoorsy type. Like that's me, all right? I don't dig stuff. And then he says, and um, you know, I'm, I'm too ashamed to beg. By the way, this guy's job that he had uh, would have been a very prestigious job. Uh, this idea of being, uh, a, um, being one of these, these estate managers and being one of these absentee landlords, that would have actually been a job that had some high notoriety. So this guy's like, I'm too ashamed to do that. That's going to cost me my reputation. So he starts thinking, he starts thinking, gets to verse four. He says, I know what I'll do. I, I got it. I got it. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, because I'm going to lose my job here, I'm fired. He says, I know what I'll do so that people will welcome me into their houses. Now, just real brief, I want you to take note of that phrase because that phrase is directly connected to Jesus' conclusion at the end of this parable. All right, so that's, that's pretty important too. So what's he do? So he starts concocting this plan and in verse five, we see him start putting it in action. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He calls in the first guy. He says, how much do you owe my master? And the guy says, uh, I owe 900 gallons of olive oil. 900 gallons, that's a lot of gallons of olive oil. Now, I don't know what this guy's doing with 900 gallons of olive oil, but clearly he's got a problem, right? Some kind of issue here. It's a lot of olive oil. And by the way, that wasn't cheap. That was not cheap. It's not cheap today. It's not cheap today. In fact, I thought it was interesting. I just thought, as I was studying this passage, I just thought, I wonder how much that would cost. So I hopped on Amazon and uh, I found this. This is the cheapest olive oil I could find. It's Kirkland brand. I think that's, uh, is that Costco? Is that what it is? And uh, it's, uh, this is three quarts and it's a two count for 44.39. So that ends up being 22 cents an ounce. That's how much that is. It's the cheapest you can find. So get this, 22 cents an ounce. There's 120 ounces in a gallon. So 900 gallons would be about $25,000. That's what you're talking about. $25,000 So I owe. Now, now let me just tell you too, this is the cheapest stuff, right? This isn't even, this isn't like extra virgin olive oil. This isn't even virgin olive oil. Like this is just straight up old school promiscuous olive oil, right? That's what we have here. And so, and it's pretty cheap, right? It's pretty cheap and it, it's expensive stuff. So it's, it's, it's um, <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so this was, you know, this was, this is expensive now. It was even more expensive back then. You know, we actually know, we actually know that 900 gallons of olive oil back in this time was equivalent to three years worth of wages, three years. So contextualize that a little bit. You know, the average uh, annual income in Ohio is about $52,000. So you do rough math on that. It's about $150,000 worth of olive oil. It's a lot. It's a lot of money. So this guy says, I owe 900. And look what he does. He, the manager said, take your bill, sit down quick. He's like, go fast, man. And he's like, make it 450. So he's like, slash it in half, man. 50% off, special deal for you. Half off all olive oil. And he cuts this guy an incredible deal. Now, I think it's pretty clear when you read this, you can start to see what this guy is doing, right? You can start to see his plan. Here's what he's doing. He's trying to leverage the temporary period of time. He's trying to leverage the, the temporary resources that he has available to, to him at this moment so he can pr procure for himself favor in the future. You know, back in this time, just like it is today, but even more so, uh, people took favors very, very, very seriously. If you did a favor for somebody, there was a sense of indebtedness that that carried with it. They owed you one. And so most likely this guy would have said, man, geez, man, I owed, I owed so much and you're gonna cut that in half. You basically saved me $75,000. He's like, well, geez, if there's anything I can do for you in the future, let me know, man, I'm there for you. And my guess is this manager probably said, you know what, I think I will uh, let you know. In fact, you might be hearing from me very soon. I might be calling you tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know, right? So he calls in the next dude. Here's what happens next. He does it again. Then he asks the second guy, how much do you owe? Guy said, a thousand bushels of wheat. That's even more, by the way. That's like uh, 10 years worth of wages. It's a, it's a big amount of money. And uh, he said to him, take your bill and make it 800. So he said, I'm not gonna give you a 50% discount. I'm gonna give you 20%. That would have been a substantial amount of money. So we don't know how many times he did this, but you get the point, right? This guy's, this guy's um, 
This guy's working all of these deals, working all these plans to try to procure favors for himself after his job goes away. And then, and then in verse eight, the Bible's gonna tell us how the manager responds. Now, before we read this, and I, I know we already read it, but before we look at verse eight, I want you just to imagine with me something. Okay, so, so most of us who are in this room, maybe, we're, maybe uh, we, we've all read it because Steve just read it a moment ago. Some of you maybe are familiar with how this goes, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment I want you to imagine that you've never heard this parable before. And I want you to imagine that you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, and I want you to imagine you've been following him around, okay? And you, you know Jesus gives parables. You've heard him give a ton of parables in the past because that's the way he teaches, but you've never heard this one before. Okay, you've heard the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've heard the parable of, you know, uh, the fa- all the famous parables that Jesus gave. You've heard the parable of, of the, 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 the prodigal son. You've heard those things. And then you get to this one. You've never heard this one before. And let's just say, I just want you to imagine with me, you know Jesus, and so you know what he stands for, right? Like, you know, for example, you've heard Jesus teach on things like honesty. You've heard Jesus say things like, let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. Uh, you know that Jesus validates and affirms like the 10 commandments, like things like thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal. Like, you know, he says stuff like that. You know that Jesus does not advocate, advocate for dishonest gain. You know that that's the case. And then Jesus just told this story about this dude who apparently was incredibly dishonest and what he did was super sketchy, like super sketch. So here's the question, just assuming you've never heard this, what do you think Jesus is going to say? Like, what, how are you anticipating, where's Jesus going with this story? Well, I can just tell you this, that if you were one of Jesus' disciples, you would not have thought that Jesus would have ended this way. This is what he says in verse, verse eight. He says, the master commended, commended the dishonest manager. Jesus says, the master applauded this dude. He commended this guy. And, and when you read this, I mean, this is why this has become one of the most challenging parables. Scholars would say it's the most challenging because here's, here's the master and he is saying, good job to this guy. Now this, by the way, would have been a complete and total shock, would have been a, an absolute surprise ending to all of those who would have been listening. So, so what does that mean exactly, right? Because here's the thing is we all know that a parable as a story in which it's trying to communicate a spiritual reality. And we know that this is a parable where Jesus is trying to instill in his disciples a value that he wants them to have. And so what is this saying? Is it saying that Jesus wants his disciples to be dishonest, that Jesus wants his disciples to be manipulative, to be conniving, to be dishonest? Is that what he's saying here? And the answer, of course, is, well, of course not. Of course not. We know Jesus, that's not what he would say. But what is it though that he's commending? Well, I want you to notice if you look very carefully, what is it that the master's commending? It's not, it's not his dishonesty, but it is his, it is his shrewdness. He commended him because he had acted shrewdly. So now here I think, I think is a great spot for me maybe to give you a biblical definition of shrewdness. Okay, so let me just define it for you. So the Greek word that we get the word shrewd from, here's what it actually means. It means astute. It means intelligent, it means prudent, it means wily. I like that word a lot, wily. It means sagacious or discreet. Here's the idea. Okay, so what is shrewdness? Shrewdness is creatively and cunningly leveraging the available resources in a situation to result in an advantage. That's what it is, all right? The idea of shrewdness is asserting innovation, it's asserting creativity, it's asserting resourcefulness towards a particular end and towards a particular goal. That's the whole idea of shrewdness. And this, by the way, is what the master would commend. He says, that's what, I, that's what I see and that's what I'm commending in you is your shrewdness. You know, whenever I think of shrewdness, you know, I can't help but think of, I can't help but think of that famous show in the 80s. You guys remember MacGyver? You remember that show? I'm not talking about the lame remake they tried to, you guys watched them, they tried to remake it. It was terrible. I'm talking about the good stuff, the stuff back in, if you have never watched MacGyver, you need to just go watch it because it's amazing. But you wanna talk about resourceful? You wanna talk about shrewd? Here's a dude who will take like a paper clip and like a lighter 
and make a bomb and break out of a prison camp or something like that. And it's just you, just, you just see this resourcefulness. I think of stuff like that. I think of movies like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, but movies like Ocean's Eleven. And you watch these guys and the heist that they put together, so creative, so innovative. You think of movies like Catch Me If You Can. If you guys have ever seen that before, story of Frank Abagnale Jr. And you see all this. And listen, all I'm saying is, here, here's the point. It's, it's just creative, calculated, cunning, resourceful, shrewd. And that's what, the, that's what the master is commending. Not dishonesty, not criminal activity. It's not what he's commending. It's the shrewdness that he is. And so I want you to notice, here, here's the moral of the story. Jesus is gonna give it. He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd, they're more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. So this is kind of Jesus's conclusion here. And uh, some of you might be thinking, what's that talking about, people of the world and people of the light? Well, remember, all right, Jesus is talking to disciples here. And so he calls his disciples the children of the light. And I think what Jesus is saying here is he's, he's, he's actually making a powerful, powerful point uh, scholars actually point out that what Jesus is doing here is he's actually employing a teaching technique. It's a teaching technique that is sometimes called argumentum a fortiori, okay? Argumentum a fortiori. Now, you don't need to remember that at all, but basically, this is a teaching technique, and it is a, um, it is a type of logic that goes like this. It goes like this. If this is true, then how much more would that be true? All right, that's called argumentum a fortiori. Jesus actually uses this often. So I'll give, you, I'll give you another example. There's another place in the Bible where Jesus says, hey, if you parents who are sinful know how to give your kids good stuff, if that's true, if you guys who are sinful people know how to give your kids good stuff, how much more would your heavenly father who's perfect and who's not sinful give his kids good stuff? That's called argumentum a fortiori. So what's he doing in this parable? Here's what he's saying. Jesus says, listen, if the people of this world, right, if this manager utilizes all of his creativity, all of his resources and all of his energies to practice shrewdness so that he can ensure for himself that he's welcomed in after he loses his job, how much more should those who are my children, who follow me, how much more should they leverage all of their creativity and their resources and their energy for something that lasts eternally, for something that lasts forever? How much more should they do that? That's the argument that he's giving us. Jesus is, Jesus is simply pointing out the very, very obvious point that I think all of us know, and that's that the people, people can exercise crazy, crazy shrewdness as it relates to the affairs of this world. And we all do. Here's the truth. When we really want something, I think all of us know this, we get real creative real fast to get the thing that we want. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. You know, I was reading this parable. I just couldn't help, I couldn't help but think of my daughter <laughs> the whole time. And uh, when I think about someone getting real creative real quick to get what they want. I think of my little girl. And, uh, and so my wife and I, some of you guys might know, we have four kids, we have three boys, and then number three for us. So we have uh, two old boys, one, one little girl, and then we are, I'm sorry, we have two older boys. Our youngest is a little boy. And then number three in the lineup is little Gracie. And I'll actually show you a picture of her. This is, this is little Gracie. And Gracie is, uh, she's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And she's got me totally wrapped uh, around her finger. She's four years old right now. And by the way, don't let this picture deceive you. It took us dozens of attempts to get this picture. All the other pictures look something like this. So that's kind of more, it's kind of more her true colors. But, um, but man, this girl, she is unbelievably smart. So we, last year we went trick-or-treating. Uh, and so she was three years old last year, went trick-or-treating. And so she was dressed up like a butterfly. And I'm just telling you, it was just the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And so she's three at this time. And it was like the first year that she actually understood what was happening with trick-or-treating. So we said, we're gonna put on this costume, we're gonna go outside and we're gonna go door to door and they're gonna give us candy. She's like, wait a minute, who's giving us candy? We're like, everybody. And she's like, well, let's go. You know, she was super excited and she's like her daddy, she loves candy. So we started going outside and the boys, we have two older boys, they ran ahead, they were gone. And then we were pushing the baby in the stroller and we just had, me and my wife just had little Gracie. 
And so we were, we were trying to teach her that thing, you know, that all parents are trying to teach. We're asking her to go up to the door, ring the doorbell, say trick or treat. And then, and then after they give them the candy, we said, you have to say, what, tell me, thank you, right? It's like every parent's nightmare is they don't say thank you. So we're like the thank you police, right? We're going every, did you say thank you? Did you say thank you? Did you go back and say thank you, you know? And um, <laughs> so we were sending her up to every house and she was doing it herself. And she was doing a great job. She was walking up to the house. My wife and I would see her get the candy and then she'd come back out to us. We'd walk to the next house. And uh, I'll tell you, it was so crazy is I noticed, I noticed after several houses that man, her candy bag was getting pretty, pretty full. And I was like, that seems unusual. That seems like it's a lot of candy. So I thought, well, I know she's cute. So they're probably giving her extra candy, but I don't know what's going on. So I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna kind of, this time I'm just gonna follow a little bit, just follow behind her and just, just kind of eavesdrop in to see what's going on. So, so she goes up to this house and I walk, I walk up, you know, about halfway up the driveway so I can hear what's going on. She goes up to the door, rings the doorbell. The person answers the door and they responded like everybody does when they see her. They were like, oh my goodness, you're the cutest thing I've ever seen. And, and, and Gracie, of course, she knows how to work it. She goes, uh, she goes, yeah, she goes, I'm a butterfly. And then they were like, oh, she's a butterfly. Oh my gosh, she's a butterfly. Bill, get over here, it's a butterfly at the door. And so then everyone comes and they give her all this candy. And she says, she, after they give her the candy, she says, um, thank you. And I was like, okay, good. She, she got the thank you in. And then she does this, I kid you not. She looks down at her bag and she goes, do you think I could please have more candy? <laughs> now, wait a minute, watch this, watch this. Do you think I could please have more candy from my daddy? <laughs> and they were like, of course, for all of your family here have all of our candy. And they give her candy and she says, thank you. And she walks away. Now she starts coming back down to the driveway and I look at her and I go, Gracie, I said, did you say thank you? She said, I did. I said, Gracie, that was very nice. Did you get some candy for me too? And she goes, no. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. I'm impressed. How did you think to do that? You guys, that, that, that is shrewd. That is shrewdness. That is what that is. That's what she's practicing. Now, don't hear me. I don't want my daughter to be a lying, manipulative person who takes advantage of people. I don't want her to do that much, right? <laughs> but, but all I'm saying is you cannot help but applaud the creative genius of that three-year-old. Little boy. Listen, here's this little girl. Here's this little girl who has limited resources. She didn't have a car. She didn't have money. She didn't have access to candy all the time. Here's a limited opportunity. She knows that trick-or-treating only happens once a year. And with COVID, that might not even be true anymore. I don't even know. And, and, and yet, what does she do? She leverages everything for the sake of maximum impact. Listen, this is all Jesus is pointing out. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, listen, the world is really good at this. Really good at this. And he says, and I want my followers, I want my disciples to be people who utilize creativity and strategy and shrewdness to the things of the kingdom. He's not saying be manipulative. He's not saying, I want you to be dishonest. He's saying, I want you to use that amazing brain that I have given you and apply that to making a kingdom impact. So he goes on, he says this. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth, use worldly wealth. By the way, some of you have different, if you have the King James translation, it might say, use unrighteous mammon, (laughs) which is so funny to me. But what does that mean, worldly wealth, unrighteous mammon? A lot of times we think it means money, and it does, but it means more than that. It means use everything, use your resources, use your stuff. Mammon was a term that basically meant use everything in the world that you can use. He says, use everything to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. There's a direct connection to what he said previously. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, my disciples should do the very best with what they have. They should do the very best with what they have for the sake of the gospel, saying, listen, I want my disciples to be people who practice incredible shrewdness for that which lasts forever. He says, the world is so good at this. I want my disciples to be good at this too. I'll tell you, I, I think personally, I think this is really empowering as a disciple of Jesus because I think what Jesus is basically saying is, hey, I'm giving you the green light. And, and if you're a follower of Christ, you can do anything short 
of sin to utilize all of that creativity, all of that cunningness, all of your resourcefulness for the sake of making an impact in, in relationships, in loving people because it makes an eternal difference. That's what he's saying in this parable. I think what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you just to apply all of your heart into loving people. I want you to apply all of your mind, all of that creativity, all of that ingenuity, all of that resource, apply all of that for the sake of the kingdom. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. And that's our value. That's where it comes from. We do our best with everything we have. We're committed to excellence and effectiveness for the gospel. We're gonna maximize every resource to focus our creativity and our efforts on the ministry that's gonna make the most impact. And that's it. Now, I think, by the way, this value has personal implications and I think it has corporate implications. So let me just talk real quick as we kind of close up. Let me talk about some personal implications, all right? So let me just start here. First off, this is true for all of us. I think it's important. One of the things this parable shows us is that, hey, um, you're fired, all right? Here's one thing that's true about all of us. We're all fired. We're all fired. We all have a limited period of time uh, in which the situation that we're in is going to last. I don't know, have you guys, have you guys uh, read recently the, um, the human death rate. I, I was looking into this. It's about 100%. In fact, I went, I went online, I did some research, and I found this very helpful pie chart that I thought I'd show you. Uh, the, blue, the blue here represents people who die, and then the white's people who don't. So you'll see there's a very slim margin of people who don't die. I, the Bible says there was a guy named Enoch in the Old Testament. I guess he never tasted death. And then apparently when Jesus comes back, um, there's gonna be some people who are still alive who follow Jesus. I don't know, they're gonna bypass death or something. I'm not sure how all that works, but that's in there. All I'm saying is this. The point is, sometimes I feel like we don't live as if this is a reality. And sometimes I think that those of us who follow Jesus don't live as this is a reality. We have a very temporary period of time. And what those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who are Christians believe is that man, that there is, there is something we can do in this temporary time that can make a difference in eternity, right? And that gets important. So the uh, first thing is, man, we're fired. Here's the second thing. And one of the implications is we have to ask ourselves this question, where do I apply shrewdness? So here's what I know about every person who's in here. Every single one of us applies our shrewdness somewhere, right? We all use the best of our creativity and, our, and of our resourcefulness and of our ingenuity, and we apply it some, to something in life. And what is that? Maybe for you, that's, that's, you know, maybe you're a business owner or you're an entrepreneur and that gets, I mean, that just gets the best of your creativity. It gets the best of your ingenuity. You're pouring so much of your resourcefulness and thinking about how you can widen your profit margins. That's what you're doing. Or maybe for you, where you apply your shrewdness is maybe you, you apply it to uh, financial planning. Some of you are so brilliant at this that you're, you're, you're incredibly shrewd, incredibly creative in managing your assets and your resources to amass for yourself a bigger retirement, whatever it might be. For some of you, maybe you're applying this to climbing the corporate ladder and you're really smart at knowing what moves to make, how to move forward. And listen, let me tell you, I don't think any of those things are wrong, by the way. I think that Christians ought to be the best business owners, the best entrepreneurs, the best financial planners. I think we ought to be great at the things that we do for the glory of God. I think we should be. However, I think we ought to ask the question, are we applying any of that same shrewdness, maybe even more, of that creativity and that ingenuity and that resourcefulness and the thinking about how to make an eternal impact. I think that's the whole point of this parable. Here's the next thing, next implication. I think it's important that we focus on what we have rather than what we don't. Super important, you know, like we said, it can be a trap. Sometimes we can say, I wanna make an impact for God, but I can't because I don't have X, Y, or Z. Like I wanna make an impact for God, but I'm not skilled at this. Or I'm not talented at that. But here's the point, you have something, we all do. We all have gifts, abilities, resources, intelligence, talents, personality. Those are things that God has given us. And just like in this parable, those are all God's resources anyway. They're, they're on loan to us from God. So the question is, how can you leverage those things for the sake of the gospel? And that's the last thing. Prayerfully consider how can you shrewdly use these things in ways that are gonna make a gospel impact? And some of you guys are incredibly smart. You're so intelligent. You have an, an amazing ability to understand things and then to articulate them to others. And I'm just saying, have you ever considered what would it look like to leverage that ability you have for the sake of kingdom impact? 
What could that look like? A million different ways. I don't know. Maybe it could look like this. Maybe it would look like you beginning to get involved in a life group, serving in a life group, and then maybe pursuing using that gift to help teach within that group. Be an incredible way to do that. Some of you are unbelievably skilled in leadership. You're incredible. You just have a knack for it. What would it look like if you took what God gave you and you're able to apply that in a way that would make a ministry impact for the sake of the gospel in your community, in your church, in your world, right? Some of you, some of you are just unbelievable at administrating things. You know how to organize things for better effectiveness. What would it look like if you took that and you said, you know what, I wanna apply this not just to my business and into my personal affairs, but also into the things of God, the kingdom of God. And what could that look like? I can't spell out every scenario, but I'm just telling you, be creative with it. Some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not strong, or I mean, I'm not the smartest person. I'm not, maybe not the most, you know, administrative, but you might be thinking, but you know what? I am strong. I am strong. You can use your strength to serve Jesus. You know, it's interesting. I talked a lot of times to these buffed out college students, and I oftentimes say to them, I'm like, man, if you would spend some of your time, and rather than just, you know, staring at your guns in the mirror, if you would use those things to help your neighbor move, your neighbor move, you could make an eternal impact. You could use that strength that God has given you, because let's just be honest, it's going to go away anyway, right? It always does. Nothing lasts. And so that's the whole point of this parable is use what you have temporarily to make an impact that's gonna last eternally. So it has personal implications. And then I would just say this, I think it has corporate implications too. So let me just talk for a minute to those who are part of the Medina East Campus. So I know that some of you are just kind of uh, uh, figuring out whether or not this is your church. And if that's the case, I hope this might be helpful. But I do wanna tell you that I think for those of us who follow Christ together here, this has corporate implications for us. I think what it means is that we want to be a group of people who are committed to pursuing this value together. I actually thought maybe it'd be helpful for you if I gave you an update on some of the stuff that we've been thinking about, on some of the ways that we feel like we've had to use this value in this last season, and how we are continuing to use this value in the season to come. So as you guys can imagine, this season has been one that has forced us in a lot of ways to be very shrewd. It's forced us to think creatively and strategically and innovatively about things. And so that showed up in a lot of different ways, showed up in a lot of different ways. Uh, not perfectly, but, but it's something that we've actually been trying to pursue is, man, we wanna do our best with what we have. So let's give you a couple examples. Here, here's one. Uh, Back in March, I think it was March, when uh, we had to postpone in-person services for a period of time, um, that was one of those moments where we said, okay, we're going to have to do our best with what we have. And it was easy to focus on what we didn't have, but we said we need to do that. And so we rallied our teams together. We rallied a lot of, our, a lot of you, a lot of our, the, the volunteers together and said, what can we do differently? And that actually create, that caused us to force super creative. And so we actually started to sharpen and fine tune our online experience. And we said, we just feel like right now, that's where we're gonna to need to put our energy and our efforts to do that. And so we watched God's people rally around that in a powerful way, I think in big ways. Then when we finally were able to reopen back in person, we said, we think we have to do our best with what we have. We gotta do our best. How can we think creatively? And we said, well, what if instead of doing like one in-person service, what if we did a few different ways? What if we had online services, in-person services inside, and then we did the tent outside? We said, we're in Northeast Ohio. It's the summer and fall. We can be outside for a little tiny period of time. Let's leverage that and see what we can do. I'm just saying it's forced us to think differently. It's this commitment to this value. Where we're saying we wanna do the best with everything that we have. And I tell you, it shows up with our ministries too. So I tell you that our, our student ministries, our children ministries, our next generation ministries, our young adult ministries have all been forced to think this way. Many of you serve and lead in that. Our life groups have been forced to think this way. This value has been important to us over this past season. You guys, I, I love thinking about how proud I am of our teams. For some of you who serve with Power Kids, it's obviously been a super challenging time. And yet we were able to see Bible camps still happen virtually. We said, you know what? We're not gonna focus on what we don't have. We're gonna focus on what we do have. What can we do to continue to make an impact, to provide resources through uh, virtual options for the time being? You guys, I gotta tell you, I'm so proud. If you guys are, for those of you who serve with student ministries, I am so proud of that, of what, what's been going on, continuing to provide ways for students to connect. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, the, our high school ministry, has every summer they have this big conference that they're part of that makes such a big impact. It's called Momentum. 
2,500 students come to this thing, and it's just amazing. And this year, we found out they had to cancel it because of COVID and the college wouldn't let us be there. And so I love, I love just the, the, the resiliency and the creativity. Our student ministry said, well, you know what? We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna do our best with what we have. We're gonna figure out our own way to do it. And they did an, an kind of a, a localized thing where they pulled together high school students and did something in town. A lot of you, many of you served in that. It's powerful. I don't know if you guys know this, with our young adult ministry, do you know that our young adult ministry has been committed to meeting through this whole time? They actually, did a, they actually did a retreat last weekend. Do you know this? They had about 50 college students come to this thing. It's unbelievable. I love it. Our life groups have been forced to get super creative. If you guys are life group leaders or your support leaders, I just wanna thank you guys for your commitment to this. Some of you have had to go to Zoom. You've decided we're gonna continue, we're gonna do the best of what we have. I've heard that some life groups decided to go porch parading or porch, I don't know what they call it, but you go around to different people's porches in your life group and meet in the back patio or whatever. Some, some groups have decided to go smaller into disciple making. All of it is because we're committed to seeing the gospel move forward. And I just wanna tell you guys that through all of this, like I said, this commitment, this commitment to say, we're gonna do our best with what we have. Do you guys know that in this season, from March to today, in this past season, we've actually seen 27 people get baptized and go public with their faith in Jesus Christ throughout this time? I think what it means is it means that, man, our efforts matter, they matter. In addition to that, we've actually seen 10 known people, 10 people that we know of who have told us that they have for the first time placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I think we're saying, that, man, this, this is what's worth it. It's worth it to make an eternal impact on those things. So it's been a season that's required shrewdness. I think it's going to continue to be a season that's gonna require shrewdness as well. So I wanna tell you real quick, uh, I figured this would be a good time. There's three big questions that I get as the campus pastor over this period of time. And I thought that maybe I'd just address all three of them publicly here. And here's the three big questions I get. Number one is, uh, when is Power Kids going to be restarting in person? It's the number one question I get. Number two is, how are we doing financially as a church? And then number three I get is, what about here we go? So I just wanna take a minute and just give you a quick answer on all of those things, all right? So first off, let me tell you about Power Kids. All right, so with Power Kids, um, like most everything that's happening right now is kind of virtual and is online. But let me just tell you that that for right now has been become one of the hardest nuts for us to crack. But here's what our commitment is. We're going after this as hard as we can is we wanna open Power Kids, reopen Power Kids as soon as possible, as much as possible, and as responsibly as possible. And so we're pursuing that. As you can imagine, some of the complexity is not just about getting kids together, it's about getting volunteers together and uh, people kind of stepping into that role. So we're pursuing that. But let me just tell you that that's going to be coming very soon. And so I wanna encourage you to stay locked in on the website. If you go to the website, you'll get updates on when that's happening. We'd love to, to let you know more about that. So it's Power Kids. But in the meantime, I wanna encourage you, please, for those of you who are parents, practice shrewdness and creativity in making a spiritual investment in your kids um, as we continue to pursue that. Second thing is, people asked, how's the church doing financially? And I actually don't need to spend too much time on this. Let me just tell you, I have been blown away by God's faithfulness and I've been blown away by your faithfulness. There's been effectively no change financially for us through all of this. Uh, when this all first started, uh, our entire team uh, took, took uh, there was a, a salary decrease that we took because we were trying to prepare for this. We've effectively seen no change whatsoever through this whole thing. So, so that's amazing. I think that's God's provision. I also want to say thank you to all of you who faithfully give to Grace. It's been so huge. And the last thing I want to talk about is here we go. So um, if you're newer to Grace, you might not know what here we go is. Here we go. This is kind of crazy. As we entered into 2020, so in January and February, we actually began the first phase of a 10-year journey that we call here we go. And I explained to us in that, I said that over the next decade, there's four big goals that we're going to be pursuing together. And here was the four big goals. You might remember, we said that we want to pursue campusing. So we said, we believe that it's time for this campus to begin launching and preparing to send out another campus at Grace Church. We talked about pursuing children and students. We said that we wanna make major investments in the next generation. Uh, we wanna put uh, resources, staff, and even some building around our investment in the next generation. We talked about leadership development. We said, the biggest thing we wanna pursue is we wanna pursue a way to generate and to help train and equip more leaders. So we talked about launching a uh, internship and residency program. 
Uh, we talked about our vision of fully furnishing our equipping division to see that happen. And then we talked about outreach. And we said that what we wanna do is we wanna have a bigger presence in our community and our world as a church. We said that we wanna take 10% of everything that's raised through this Here We Go initiative. And we wanna basically give that away to our local and global partners, we wanna do. And I'll tell you, it was amazing. We went through all of this. We actually asked all of the people in our church to commit to four things. Here's the four things. We said, we wanna commit, we wanna ask you to commit to pray for your three. Let's pray for three people that you desperately wanna see come to know Jesus. We said, we wanna see you get in a life group. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. We wanna see everyone who's part of our campus serving one and attending at a service, basically utilizing your gifts and abilities that way. And then we also talked about a three-year financial commitment to here we go. And so we asked for that. And I'll tell you, that happened, that happened in February. That's when we did that. And it was, there was so much momentum that took place. We watched God answer in amazing ways. We saw so many of you commit to these things. We watched uh, uh, so many of our people commit to essentially giving about $3 million to this. And we had so much momentum. It was here we go. And then COVID hit. And it was like, here we go, home. <laughs> and we were all home for a period of time. We didn't know what was gonna happen. We didn't know how it was gonna shake out. And so that actually caused us for uh, just a little bit of time to pause a few of the elements that we were pursuing because we said, we don't know what's gonna happen as a result of this. And so we actually paused construction and we paused hiring. There's a bunch of other things we didn't pause. But man, I just wanna tell you guys that to date, we are entirely on pace for everything that we've pursued. Right now we have over $850,000 that we've received from that money that's been committed. And guys, this is what I love so much. I love that that means that we can pursue everything that we were talking about pursuing. We're going after all of it now, again, uh, seeing what God has done in this season. And this is the thing that makes me the most excited is you guys know that as a campus, I think this is so cool, that as a campus, that because, because of what you've given, and here we go, that we literally are able to give away 10% of the dollars that were received to our local and global partners. You guys, we as a church are able to give $80,000 away to our local and global ministry partners in the midst of the most challenging ministry season that most of them have ever experienced. And I think that's because we are able to use the resources God has given us to make an impact eternally, to make an impact eternally. By the way, there's so much more I could say, but if you wanna keep updated on Here We Go, if you go to our website, uh, you'll be able to click on Here We Go and you'll get all the details about what's happening and all the updates. There's also some information out in the cafe for you. And here's our value. We do our best with everything we have. We're committed to excellence and effectiveness for the gospel. We're gonna maximize every resource to focus our, crea our creativity and efforts on the ministry that makes the most impact. And we do that because there's nothing more worthy of our effort than Jesus Christ and his gospel. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I do just wanna say thank you. Thank you that you have taught us and have given us these instructions to be shrewd, to be creative. God, you've given us incredible brains and you've given us incredible minds, Lord, that we can innovate and that we can be creative and that we can strategize. And God, I pray that you would help us to apply that same, that same creativity, that same uh, 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 pursuit of excellence and effectiveness as it relates to things that matter eternally. So God, I ask that you would help those of us who follow you to do that personally and help us to do that corporately, that we could pursue this value together. And so Jesus, we just wanna say thank you that you, have been, that you have been so loving towards us, that you've used all of your resources to love us and to, to impact us. And I pray we just do the same. So God, we wanna say thank you for all of these things and pray in Jesus' name, amen.